Welcome to Digital Detectives, reports from the battlefront. We'll discuss computer forensics, electronic discovery, and information security issues and what's really happening in the trenches. Not theory, but practical information that you can use in your law practice, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the 114th edition of Digital Detectives. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises, a digital forensics, cybersecurity, and information technology firm in Fairfax, Virginia. And I'm John Simic, vice president of Sensei Enterprises. Today on Digital Detectives, our topic is securing Microsoft Windows and Microsoft 365. Before we get started, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Thanks to our sponsor, Logical, instant discovery software for modern legal teams. Logical offers perfectly predictable pricing at just $250 per matter per month. Create your free account at any time at Logical.com. That's Logic with a K, C-U-L-L dot com forward slash L-T-N. Today our guest is Ben Shore, a senior content developer at Microsoft. He is also the author of several books and articles on technology, including The Lawyer's Guide to Microsoft Outlook, The Lawyer's Guide to Microsoft Word, and OneNote in One Hour. He was a Microsoft MVP for 20 years and involved with management and technology for more than 30. In his free time, he's a slow Ironman triathlete and a high school football coach. He currently lives in Redmond, Washington with his wife, Carrie, and their son, Keith. As usual, Ben, it's great to have you with us. It's great to be back. Thanks for inviting me. Well, Ben, let's start right off with the basics. What's the most important thing someone can do to improve their security in Windows? Uh, so, so this one is going to sound a little obvious, but honestly, upgrade to Windows 10. We, we still see a lot of people on Windows XP, not, you know, not as many as we did. Still a lot of people on Windows 7, which, as you know, went out of support earlier this year. Uh, but Windows 10 really has the modern security features, things like Secure Boot, a lot of those things under the hood that really make it a much more secure operating system. And it's going to be supported for, for quite a bit longer to come. The other thing I'd recommend would be uh, make sure you're using a modern browser. Thankfully, this is one area where most people do pretty well as far as keeping up with, a, with the browser. But if your browser's out of date, that can impair your security too. So upgrading to Windows 10 is great, Ben, but what if they're already on Windows 10? Any other advice for them? Absolutely. So, uh, so one of the things that, that we're really trying to encourage folks to do on 10 to, to increase their, their, improve their security is to use the modern authentication methods like Windows Hello. That would be one good example. Uh, we're trying to get people to go passwordless. Passwords, no, nobody likes passwords except hackers <laughs> because they're hard to remember. You've got to try and create, you know, secure ones. You've got to remember what, you know, if you remember what they are, you, you try not to reuse them. We're, we're obviously always encouraging people not to reuse passwords. So we're trying to get people away from passwords. And in Windows, one of the ways to do that is to use uh, some of our modern authentication methods like Windows Hello. Uh, and if you have a device that's fairly modern, you can use Windows Hello, which is either facial recognition, could be fingerprint recognition, or it could be a secure pin on the device. And that's a much more secure way to go than passwords. So that, that would be my number one thing, enable my Windows Hello. And if you're in an organization, you should have help get your entire organization on Windows Hello. And what's the most important thing that they can do to improve their security in Microsoft 365? So in Microsoft 365, and for the context of this podcast, when I say Microsoft 365, I'm also referring to Office 365. As you know, we're in the middle of a, of a rebranding right now. So you can just sort of hear Microsoft 365 and Office 365 somewhat interchangeably for, for this context. So it's an easy answer, and that's enable multi-factor authentication. 
It's available in every plan on Microsoft 365, and it's really easy to enable in the admin center. Uh, so if you go into your admin center in the user's uh, settings, you can turn on multi-factor authentication. That's going to let, as you and hopefully most of your listeners know, uh, that's going to require your users the first time they sign in on a new device to have a second factor of authentication, which would be, a, a, it could be a, a PIN sent to their smartphone. It could be a FIDO2 compatible uh, device like a YubiKey, which is a, a USB device that you plug into your device could be uh, an authenticator like Microsoft Authenticator on a mobile device. There's a number of different uh, uh, things you could use there, but that multi-factor authentication dramatically reduces your odds of, of getting somebody getting into your system because they've compromised an account and a password. And one of the big misconceptions on multi-factor authentication is that it makes things way too inconvenient for users, that users will hate it. But you know the reality is that once you've signed in the first time on that device, you get that cache token on the local device. And so usually it doesn't prompt you for that second factor again, unless you've changed your password or you're signing into a new service, something like that. We use, of course, we use multi-factor authentication at Microsoft. And I very rarely, I mean, maybe once a month do I ever get asked for my second factor if I'm signing in on a device that I use every day. So it really isn't, uh, it's, it's nearly transparent to the user, especially if you're using it in conjunction with Windows Hello. Yeah, we, we use it as well, Ben, and I and I agree with you, unless you change the password. And that's, I, I always forget that I have to do the Authenticator app after I've changed my password. Yeah. And, and then, then it prompts me to go, oh, darn, yeah, I did. I changed my password. Okay, I got to get that app. <laughs> and that, that Authenticator app is amazing. I mean, when you've got it integrated with Microsoft 365 with, with Azure Active Directory, which is what backs up all those uh, all of our cloud services like that, you can even have it so that, like, for me, when, when I have to do my second factor, what it does is I type in, uh, you know, my PIN, and then my second factor comes to my smartphone, but it comes to the Authenticator app, and I just have to touch my finger to the fingerprint reader on my smartphone, and that accept that approves my second factor off. It's so easy and fast. It's you know I don't even have to type anything on the phone. I just touch the fingerprint reader, and boom, it's in. <laughs> I, I still like the six digits. Uh, <laughs> so, so Ben, another, another question for you though is what, what's the most common security mistake that folks that are using Microsoft 365 and I am never ever going to get used to saying that instead of Office 365 <laughs> it, it'll take a, it's, it's taking a little time for us to get used to it too so totally alright um, you know I, I would say and this isn't necessarily unique to Microsoft 365 but I still see it today and that is uh, firms not having a good exit procedure for their people is a huge mistake. A couple of years ago, I was presenting at an ALA meeting. And after my presentation, uh, a woman came up to me, she's holding her iPhone, and she asked how she could get the emails from her old phone, or from her old firm, off her phone. And it turns out she'd left a firm six months ago and still had all the email that she had downloaded on her personal iPhone from when she worked there. And that included attachments like partner compensation reports and okay, uh, information yeah. about ma open matters and clients. And, you know, I mean, she didn't take it maliciously. There was nothing. I mean, she was just, she was using her iPhone as her, as her mobile device with her firm's blessing. And when she left, nobody bothered to say, Hey, by the way, um, can we wipe the company email off your phone? Um, <laughs> just little things. It happens every day. I see it everywhere. I've seen firms where they haven't even disabled, much less, much less deleted any of the accounts from their active directory for when people left. They just don't have that exit procedure. And so uh, you'll go into firms and look at their active directory and they've got user, they've got active user accounts in there for people that haven't worked in that firm in months or years. And the thing is, if that account's still active, if the person still has the password, knows the password to it, they could still log into it. You know, they could, they could be working mm -hmm. for a competing firm across town, but they've still got an active user account in your network. 
So just little things like that where they just haven't done a good job with the exit process. That's a big one. I also see firms that are using too many generic accounts for multiple people on shared machines. You know, they have receptionists or messengers and they're, they're just giving them a generic account. And as part of that, a lot of times they include that generic account in with too many permissions. So that generic account has access to all sorts of files and folders that they probably shouldn't have. I was at a firm one time where their receptionist could access all their HR and payroll stuff because they just had never bothered to, to not include that account in, in the permissions for that information. Things like that uh, are big mistakes. Well, that is certainly a very stupid one. And we certainly see a lot of stupid mistakes when it comes to getting ransomware, too. And we've had a couple mm -hmm. of firms hit here recently, and I just read about a couple up in Canada that have been struck. So what, what, what would be your tips for protecting against ransomware? Yeah, so, so first and foremost, have a good, good current tested backup. It seems obvious, but it's amazing how many firms I've been to where they really didn't have any backups or nothing tested. If you haven't tested your backup, you haven't finished backing up. And don't just have one copy. Um, I've seen firms that had just a single copy of their backup, but have multiple copies. So you have backups from yesterday, sure, but you also want to have a backup from the day before that and the day before that and the week before that. And the reason that, for that is you, so you can back up a historical version also if you had to. You occasionally see an issue where their backups are too good and the ransomware encrypts all their files and then their backup backs up all the encrypted files, which, you know, that's unfortunate. But if you could back up, if you could go to a previous backup that was uncorrupted, you're still okay. I had a, a company, uh, before I joined Microsoft, I was working with a client that had gotten, uh, they were a healthcare provider and they had gotten hit with ransomware. And they had a backup from yesterday. So they just restored their backup from yesterday, reinstalled a few apps on the affected workstation. And, you know, within a few hours, they were kind of back in business and they didn't care too much. So backups can sort of cover for all manner of sins to some extent. And the second thing I'd say is with regards to testing your backups, testing a backup is there's some, some advanced ways to do it. But there's also one really easy way to do it. Create a test file. You can even call it test file in your system. Let it get backed up a few times as part of your normal backups. Then one day, go in and delete that test file from your system and see if you can restore it. If you can't restore it, that tells you that either your backups aren't working properly or you don't know how to restore files. Either way, that's a problem <laughs> you need to solve. So, and it, and it's, good, it's good to learn that when it's only a test file that you've lost. Because <laughs> you, right. you don't care that a Word document that just says test file in it has been deleted. But if that happens for real, then you've, then you've got a problem. Um, and the next thing I'd say kind of ties into our previous tip, which is be selective about who can access what. If somebody in your in your firm accidentally clicks the wrong thing and, and activates some ransomware, the ransomware can only impact the files they have access to. And so you can really limit the spread and limit the damage if this person doesn't have access to every file in your system. Make sure that, you know, this goes back to the previous tip again about being being uh, smart about giving access to people. You know, it's bad if this if this person loses the cases they have access to. It's worse if they lose access, if you lose all the files in the firm. And the chances are that most people don't need access to everything in your firm. And the final thing I'd say is just train your users. It's, it's something that a lot of firms overlook is, you know, you don't have to make it, uh, you know, you don't have to be standing over their desk every day, banging them on the head about security, but you should have some regularly scheduled you know, quarterly, semi-annual, whatever it is, training, even if it's just bring in a pizza and watch some security videos together as a firm and talk about them or bring in somebody from the outside to, to do a one hour lunch and learn about it. You got to do something to, to keep your firm, you know, your, your users up to date. That sounds like a good plan and they always love a free lunch. Absolutely. <laughs> and it's a lot cheaper than recovering from ransomware. Well, before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick commercial break. Trying to cut costs? You're not alone. 
In today's climate, a five-figure e-discovery bill per month is steep. Don't pay that. Use Logical to reduce expense and control your discovery process. Get started today for only $250 per matter and they'll waive migration costs from competing platforms. For more information, visit logical.com LTN. That's logic with a K, C-U-L-L dot com forward slash L-T-N. Welcome back to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Today, our topic is securing Microsoft Windows and Microsoft 365. And our guest is Ben Shore, a senior content developer at Microsoft. So Ben, right before the break, we were talking about ransomware, but what about just regular old malware that comes in with via email in general? Yeah, for that, for that, you know, the basics still apply. You should be running a good up-to-date anti-malware program. If you're on Windows 10, for example, Windows Defender Antivirus is installed and running by default. And, uh, you know, granted, I'm a little bit biased, but I think it's pretty good. There are, of course, also lots of third parties out there, third-party antivirus products out there, if, you, if you're more comfortable with one of those. But whatever you're running, make sure it's up-to-date. Before I joined Microsoft, I, I had worked with a firm. I checked on their anti-malware one day when we first got there, and it hadn't been updated in months. I mean, they hadn't, didn't have new signatures. They didn't have anything. They, hadn't, they just had never bothered. They had been ignoring the update message. So don't do that. Make, make sure it's uh, up to date and current. Same thing with your, with your operating systems. You should be making sure that you're running Windows Update. You know, you may be on a deferred channel. Maybe you're not getting the updates the minute they ship out, but you should be pretty prompt about installing security updates. Also, train your users to be wary of unexpected links or attachments in email. I mean, that's, that's kind of security 101, but it's amazing how many times we still see people click on links or attachments that they really have no business clicking on. I often tell them, you know, if it, even if it seems to be coming from somebody you know, if it's an unexpected file or if it's an unexpected link, especially if it's not explained, then you should definitely not click on it. I won't throw this person under the bus, but I know somebody who has a tendency to send emails to family and the only thing in the email message will be a link to some article or something or, or comic or something they thought was funny. Well, there's no explanation of what it is. It's just this random link in an, in an otherwise empty email. And there's no way I'm clicking on that. Uh, and you shouldn't either. <laughs> um, so, you know, and also they consider if the link or the attachment seems in character for the person who's sending it to you. You know, my mother sends me links and attachments, you know, with some regularity. But if she sends me an attachment that purports to be, you know, salacious photographs of Britney Spears or something, you know, my mother's fun, but she's not that fun. So, uh, <laughs> so I, that would be a, a red flag to me that maybe I shouldn't click on that, you know. And, and, you know, it's not that you have to, you know, have the FOMO of what, what could that link have been. Email, you know, reach out to the person who sent it to you and say, hey, is this legit? What is this that you just sent me? And, you know, confirm with them that it's that it's good before you click on it. So that's it. Now, for some of you, if you're on uh, one of the enterprise SKUs of Office 365 or Microsoft 365, uh, you should also be looking at Microsoft Defender Advanced Threat Protection. Uh, there are a lot of really uh, powerful tools in there because presumably if you're using Microsoft 365, one of the enterprise SKUs, for example, like E3 or E5, you're probably using Exchange, our Exchange server. And so with advanced threat protection, you can go in and there are some things you can configure that'll scan messages for, for malware, scan for bad attachments, things like that, before it even gets to you, before it even gets to your end users. And so if you've got a basic plan, you may not have advanced threat protection available to you. If you've got one of the more advanced plans, you do, and you should definitely be looking into to what you can configure there to, to ramp up your security. 
Well, in the last little bit, it took about two weeks before all the lawyers were working from home. <laughs> and, and it wasn't pretty, uh, although it, it was good for Sensei because they needed a lot of IT help. Yeah. But any tips th- that you have been for making the remote working more secure? Yeah, uh, a few things. So if they're not on a dedicated work device, you know, if they've got a company-issued laptop, that's that's good. And presumably it's a managed device so the company can make sure that the updates are installed, that the antivirus is running, that the firewall is turned on. Uh, but if they're not on a dedicated work device, if they've just sort of relocated their house and now they're using the Mac in their dining room as their, as their work machine, you should encourage them to use the web apps rather than the local apps whenever possible. And one reason for that is that the web apps don't download the data to your local machine. And so, you know, if, if the if the machine breaks down or gets stolen or, you know, whatever happens, um, you don't have all these work files sitting on the local machine. And so uh, so that would be one thing. Secondly, uh, make sure they're storing their flou- uh, ideally storing files on a secure cloud, which could be OneDrive or SharePoint, OneDrive for Business or SharePoint. Several advantages to that. One, again, if the machine gets damaged, stolen, destroyed, you know, you spill a cup of coffee on it, the files are still accessible and they're still uh, in a place where the firm can get to them. Our cloud data is all backed up naturally. So when you've got the files in our cloud, it's stored on multiple servers within a data center. It's generally replicated to a second data center. So you, there are multiple copies of the file, which means you've got some built-in backups there. And the other one, which uh, a lot of, I'm surprised this is still an issue in 2020, but make sure your Wi-Fi is secure. Too many people are still using Wi-Fi that, have no, that doesn't have any encryption on it at home. And so I would, I would say make sure your Wi-Fi is secure also. So would you consider those, Ben, the, the, the common security mistakes that, that people are making when they're working from home, or are there, are there any additional ones? Yeah, th- those are kind of the big ones. I said the other one, well, actually, I, I guess there is one I kind of forgot, which is using insecure devices, uh, whether it's your work device or otherwise. For example, if you have kids in the house, don't let them use your work laptop. Kids have a tendency to install games and all sorts of other things, some of which may not be... Uh, to on the up and up, as it were. And so uh, I would be pretty strict about not letting your kids use your your work laptop or work devices or, or family members. I think that's important. And that also includes, you know, locking the locking the machine when you walk away from it for the same reason. So I'd say that's a big one. Yeah, that's a big one. That That's one of our slides in our presentations too. So <laughs> certainly agree with that. Do you have any special advice for law firms in this, this new environment where they're now having their folks all work remotely? Yeah, I'd say be careful of the word no. Word, the word no tends to lead to shadow IT. When you just, when somebody asks you, you know, can we do this? And you just say no, and you don't pursue it anymore. What they end up doing is going around you and, and going to you know, some third party solution. And now your data, your firm data is potentially being stored on servers or in apps that you have no knowledge of at all. And that would be bad. So if somebody comes to you and says, hey, I want to do whatever, and it's not something you can do already, work with them. You know, you don't necessarily have to use the solution they want. You know, maybe they want to use some crazy third party solution that you don't like. That's okay. But work with them and enable them to do it. And if they can, if you can enable them to do it in a in an approved manner that you're controlling, that's going to be a lot better for your firm. And then the second part I'd say would be again encourage those web apps and also encourage local disk encryption. Pretty much every operating system now, including Windows 10, has supports local disk encryption where it'll encrypt the hard drive, and that's a good practice to be in anyway. Well, Ben, you know, a lot of folks working from home now, and they're, they're glad they made that decision to, to go to Microsoft 365, I'm sure. I hope uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> but part of that, as you know, is is the subscription to Teams. And there's a lot of this whole collaboration, and now they want to keep contact, you know, 
connect to their clients or to co-counsel or something and and teams being included as part of Microsoft 365. But are there any special security considerations for, for when when they're using Teams? Uh, you know, we're hearing all this news hype about end-to-end encryption with Zoom and everything, and so and I know Microsoft's taking advantage of that news. Um, but I also find it interesting that they have an integration between Teams and Zoom. But t- t- talk to us about some s- security stuff with Teams. So Teams kind of out of the box was built with security in mind. So we do have that end-to-end comp- encryption. When you're storing files in Teams, it's actually being stored uh, in SharePoint underneath the hood. And that's all uh, pretty secure, encrypted uh, both in transit and at rest. Uh, most of the time when I see security issues with Teams, it's that somebody's made a bad decision along the way. And this comes back again usually to permissions to who, to who they've invited to the team and, and, and what they've chosen to do. So a couple things are when you create a team, you can create it to be either public or private. And, and I should elaborate that public means public within your firm, not public to the world. So a public team means that anybody in your organization can see and join that team. A private team means only people you've invited and or approved can join that team. So that's an important distinction. If you've got a if you've got a sensitive matter, you should probably make that a private team so that you can control the membership more tightly. You can invite guests to teams, but be thoughtful about it. And that's the same thing. You know, if you want to invite co-counsel or the client or somebody in, that's that's fine. But just make sure you know that you've done that and that everybody in the team knows that you've done that so that they don't accidentally say something that you know, somebody outside your firm shouldn't see. You can also create private channels now. That was a popular request. So if you've got a team and maybe you do have some guests or maybe you do have other people in the firm and you need an even more restricted audience, you can create a private channel and restrict that channel to specific people. Um, And then two other things that we see a lot because people are using, obviously we're all doing video calls now and conference calls on video. Mm -hmm. Um, If you've got your camera turned on, we do have a blur background feature. And so you might want to use that, especially if what's behind you could be sensitive in some way. So, it, you know, and it would be on camera potentially. So use the blur background feature. And finally, you know, be aware if other people can hear you. This is especially true. I noticed people on headphones tend to shout uh, for some reason. <laughs> and so it's, it's not as big an issue now that we're not working in coffee shops. You know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've walked into a coffee shop and some guy on a headphones and his, with his Apple MacBook in the corner is shouting on his conference call. Uh, and the entire coffee shop is listening to the details of his call. Um, it's not as big an issue now that we're hopefully all working at home, but there can still be an issue there. So, so be aware of what other people might be able to hear when you're on your calls. That was a great wrap-up of a lot of tips, and I know that folks are really interested in everything there is to know about Microsoft Windows and Microsoft 365, and they're still going to call it Office 365 in perpetuity as far as I can determine. Nobody seems to know that this is rebranding is really coming unless you're in the industry. <laughs> but but th- thank you so much, Ben. It's always entertaining to have you, and you're always full of, of information that everybody wants. So really appreciate you taking the time out of your day. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, that does it for this edition of Digital Detectives. And remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or an Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us on Apple Podcasts. And you can find out more about Sensei's digital forensics, information technology, and cybersecurity services at SENSEIENT.com. We'll see you next time on Digital Detectives. Thanks for listening to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Check out some of our other podcasts on LegalTalkNetwork.com and in iTunes.